Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 11.09 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It is the 1st of November, 2021. And this is episode 501 of Bitcoin. And yesterday, we celebrated the 13th anniversary of the Bitcoin white paper. We really don't need to get into that. If you, you know what the white paper is. If you don't know what the Bitcoin white paper is, I just, I, you know, ugh. You gotta, you gotta read it. Okay. It's, it's not that long. It's like 3,200 words long. Honestly, you can do that in an hour. You know, you can do that in 30 minutes. Honestly, you really want to read to understand it. It's at least an hour. And if you really want to understand it, well, read it once every single day for the rest of your life. And maybe, maybe we'll all understand it together because there's so much in it. Uh, that we have yet to discover, honestly. I really, I, I truthfully believe that. There's a lot of ideas that are, un, that are, you know, in my opinion, not quite uncovered yet in that single paper. And it reminds me of another very important paper, The Discovery of DNA. It was a letter to Nature by uh, Watson and Crick. It really wasn't even, um, a lot of people think that it was a published a fully blown published paper, but the first iteration of what Watson and Crick put out in the discovery of DNA was not, in fact, a peer-reviewed paper. It was, in fact, a letter discussing their discovery. It was sort of a white paper, much like the Bitcoin white paper. And at the very end of that paper, there's this sentence. And it's the most captivating sentence of the entire thing. And it says something of the effect of, or something to the effect of this. It has not escaped our attention the implications of the double helical nature of the structure of DNA regarding replication. <laughs> Within that one sentence, it completely excised Linus Pauling. If you don't know who Linus Pauling is, he was one of the guys that was saying that proteins, not DNA or RNA, was the uh, was an organism's ability to pass on genetic information. I mean, we knew that there was DNA. We knew that there was RNA. And we clearly knew that there was proteins. We just didn't know the structure of DNA. And the minute that that last sentence hit the white paper for Watson and Crick's letter to nature, holy shit, the whole thing just blew apart. And Linus Pauling was... Essentially, he excised himself from the battle of genetic information and genetic uh, or proteins passing on genetic information from that day forward. It was kind of it was kind of like he just bowed out and said, you know what, I think you're probably right. And he just really didn't talk about it again after that. So I believe that there's a lot of stuff in the white paper that have has yet to literally be uncovered. Honestly, I, I really do. There's a lot of stuff in that paper. If you haven't read it, just, you know, if you don't know where to find it, it should be easy to find. Just, you know, uh, duck, duck, go or Google if you have to. Bitcoin white paper, you will you will find it. It's like, you know, all of 12 pages long. It's, you know, not not that big of a deal. So where to start today with episode 501? Um, let's start with Pleb Lab again. At Pleb Lab, P-L-E-B-L-A-B, our first Pleb Lab transmission has launched. Find out what is going on with all the Bitcoin projects making updates this month under Pleb Lab. And uh, if you didn't catch my one of my earlier shows where I was discussing Pleb Lab, it's an Austin. It's they're out there in Austin, as far as I can tell. 
and they host so they're sort of like an amalgam of people that are working on particular projects on top of bitcoin and they've sort of all come under this umbrella and like i said before even the guys at pleb lab if you were to ask them what pleb lab actually is they will be the first to tell you they don't really know yet because everything is so new you know it's not just pleb lab that's new there's all kinds of stuff that's new and all kinds of stuff that's coming back into play and we'll get into to some of that later but if you don't know or haven't looked at pleb lab i i like encourage you to go to pleblab.com p-l-e-b-l-a-b.com to find out what the hell's going on <clears throat> over there at the pleb lab place and they have a, a few uh projects that look really promising so on with the news Post Oak Motor Cars and NYDIG announce partnership integrating Bitcoin services throughout the luxury auto dealer. Ah, yeah. If you need to waste your Bitcoin on something stupid like a luxury automobile, well, these are your cats, okay? So, Post Oak Motor Cars, owned by businessman Tillman Fertitta, uh, today announced a partnership with NYDIG, a leading Bitcoin company, to integrate Bitcoin into the Houston-based luxury auto dealer's business operations. This partnership will allow POMC customers to purchase luxury automobiles financed through loans secured by Bitcoin. Enable a POMC to use its appreciated Bitcoin treasury holdings to finance a new expansion and enable employees to allocate a portion of their paychecks to Bitcoin, all powered by NYDIG's secure, regulated, full-stack platform. POMC also announced that it has sold its first luxury automobile financed with Bitcoin, a Rolls-Royce Ghost financed with the customer's Bitcoin held at NYDIG. The collaboration will enable POMC to offer customers access to NYDIG's institutional-grade, 100% cold storage custody solution, Bitcoin holders who don't want to sell their Bitcoin will be able to access a portion of its value by borrowing USD using the Bitcoin as collateral. The product does not require customers to make any interest payments during the life of the loan. Okay, I'm sorry. I've, I've got to just stop right there. Look, I like NYDIG. I really do. But this is starting to raise the hackles on my neck. Now, I'm not saying that it's wrong. Okay, I don't know. It could be a great deal except for the fact that you're actually expending energy to, you know, to get a, a luxury car. Come on, guys. Do you real a Rolls Royce? Really? Have, have we learned nothing at all from the Lambo era of Bitcoin? Come on, man. If you're going to finance something, a house, land, you know, something other than a car that is just going to eat your ass alive on maintenance costs on down the road. And guess what? If you buy a Rolls Royce and you live in like not Dallas and not Houston and not Austin and not New York and, you know, not a big massive city, good luck finding a garage to fix that shit for you. Otherwise, you're going to have to put it on a flatbed and crate its ass to the nearest Rolls Royce dealership or luxury car dealership where they actually have the tools to work on it. And then you're going to pay through the nose for that maintenance fee. Let's continue. Uh, in today's rapidly changing financial landscape, we are proud to partner with a firm like NYDIG to offer our customers the ability to finance a car with a loan secured by Bitcoin and to offer our employees the opportunity to allocate a portion of their paychecks in Bitcoin, said Lonnie Souza, general manager of Post Oak Motor Cars. Quote, NYDIG has a vision to make Bitcoin more accessible and our industry-leading partnership will propel that vision into reality and give us key stakeholders uh, the opportunity to have exposure to sound digital money in Bitcoin. Better put a tie on that suit speak, bitch. Alongside the partnership, POMC will be leveraging NYDIG's platform to hold its appreciated Bitcoin treasury position and efficiently finance an expansion of POMC's footprint. The first Bitcoin financed venture will be a new state-of-the-art POMC location in the Woodlands, Texas, which, if you don't know, is just north of Houston. It was a planned development. Oh, I can't remember the cat's name. I want to say it was like, he was like a really famous uh, uh, oil field firefighter, I think. It was like Red something. I can't remember. Anyway, 
he put his company up there and wanted all his employees to basically live like really close to the headquarters. So he just built a town, you know, just built his own little fucking citadel. And it's honestly, it's awful. If you've ever been to the woodlands, it's just, it's, I mean, the houses are nice. It looks nice until you want to get out and take a walk. And then you realize just how much it was designed only for automobiles and not for bikes, not for skateboarding, not for taking a walk with your baby in a stroller, not for just, you know, taking a walk just because you want to take a walk. No, 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 no. If you're not in a car and you live in the woodlands, you're fucked. Okay. Let's just put it that way. So uh, that's, that's the uh, post Oak motor car press release. And essentially I think it's good that they hold Bitcoin on their balance sheet. I have never heard of them before. I'd like to know how much they actually hold on their balance sheet, although it may not be any of my business, but it's also good that they're going to allow their employees to get paid in Bitcoin if they so choose. However, again, I come back to the central you know, theme of, of what post Oak Motor Cars is. Luxury cars. Do you really need one? Isn't there something, I mean, isn't there something better to spend that energy on? Because that's what money is, is just stored energy. Isn't there some place better to deploy that capital? You know, I'm not saying that you got to start a business or something like that, but Jesus Christ, people, I mean, a Rolls Royce ghost. Do you really think that's going to make your life better? I think it does not make your life better. In fact, I think it, it causes an addition of yet one more management headache that you don't need as a human. There's there's too many things that are cool as shit and slick as not to experience in life. And having to take my Rolls Royce ghost in for its six month checkup and then have to pay somebody 1500 bucks or $2,500 to do that, depending on where you go. Yeah, that's just not something that I actually want to experience. Let's move on with more deny dig acquisition news, bottle pay. Check it out, bro. This was just announced today. Nidig acquires Bitcoin payments app Bottle Pay. Bit oh, by the way, I, I forgot to, to, oh, no, I credited the other story because that's right, because it was your blog post. This is Bitcoin Magazine, and as you might imagine, written by Nomsios. Bitcoin-focused financial services firm Nidig announced the acquisition of payments app Bottle Pay, which leverages the Bitcoin Lightning Network to make small and frequent payments feasible for businesses and consumers in Europe. <coughs> the deal's financial terms were not disclosed. Mm, you have to excuse me, man. I woke up with a tickle. I hope it doesn't turn into a cold or a flu or my usual fall bronchitis. Keep your fingers crossed for me, guys. I really would rather not get sick. But that said, this is probably going to be a shorter show. Quote, we believe that the next chapter of Bitcoin will be about Bitcoin. Big B, the network, said Ross Stevens, founder and executive chairman of Nidig, and Robert Gutman, co-founder and CEO of Nidig in a joint statement. Nidig is on a mission to bring Bitcoin to all, and this acquisition brings us one step closer to fulfilling that goal. We are excited to welcome Bottle Pay to the Nidig team, end quote. UK-based Bottle Pay allows European users to transact BTC via the Lightning Network on social media platforms by mentioning the accounts of the payments company and the receiver. The platform, established in 2019, also allows users to send other currencies like pound sterling and euros instantly and without fees. Quote, when we set out to build Bottle Pay, we wanted to unlock the financial infrastructure of the future, said Bottle Pay founder Pete Chien, C-H-E-Y-N-E. Figure out how to pronounce it. Quote, we believe we've done so in a way that will revolutionize the payments industry and make it more equitable for everyone, from small businesses and creators to end consumers. We're excited to be joining an industry leader like Nidig, who shares our vision and the future of money. Through the acquisition of Bottle Pay, Nidig will integrate the app's Lightning Network infrastructure into its full stack Bitcoin platform. NYDIG provides institutional investors and high net worth individuals with tailored Bitcoin services, including asset management, brokerage, and financing. Okay, so for those of you who've never seen Bottle Pay, it was one of my absolute favorite apps in conjunction with Twitter. Okay, because that's sort of where the, how, how you worked it is that you had a Bottle Pay button 
Uh, and you could just, like if you saw somebody's tweet, you could just tip them through Bottle Pay. And it was, it was easy. It was the interface <clears throat> or the, the way that you did it was really intuitive. It didn't, you, you really didn't have a whole lot of lights, whistles, and bells. It was just, hey, tip, tip some Satoshis. And it was, it always worked and it was, and it was great. And then they had to shut Bottle Pay down because the United States got all in their SEC and our you know, whatever else. They got their panties in a snit and figured out that Bottle Pay was, you know, something that they could like, you know, kind of tread upon. And they did. And Bottle Pay backed down because it, nobody from Bottle Pay wanted to go to jail in the United States. So they just shut it down and they reopened it. I want to say it was earlier this year uh, they came back and they're only in Europe right now, but I suspect that they'll probably be back in the United States soon. I do hope that they keep their noses clean and keep their ethics polished like a nice chrome bumper. Okay, now we've got this one. Um, your good friends Matt O'Dell and Marty Bent are part of this, as far as I can tell. I know Marty Bent is, and I'm pretty sure that Matt O'Dell is as well. But we have this one from Alex McShane out of Bitcoin Magazine. 1031 launches. <clears throat> it's a new Bitcoin venture capitalist firm. 1031 is a new organization named after October 31st, the birthday of the Bitcoin white paper. The venture fund's ethos is tied to its namesake with a mission to partner with, invest in, and support exclusively Bitcoin companies whose mission is hyper-Bitcoinization. On October the 31st, 2008, the pseudonymous Satoshi Nakamoto posted the Bitcoin white paper on the Cypherpunks mailing list, a day that forever altered the course of humanity. 1031 commented, quote, our mission is to partner with, invest in, and support great Bitcoin companies creating infrastructure for a Bitcoin monetary system. We believe Bitcoin is the tool that will facilitate the freedom of mankind and unlock individual sovereignty and human flourishing, end quote. 1031 mission statement predicates on hyper-Bitcoinization, a single purpose which everyone, regardless of skill set, can contribute to, quote. We know not everyone can be shadowy super coders, but there are skills others have at their disposal to contribute to the ecosystem. And we believe the traditional venture capital model falls short in its potential impact on the space. And thus, we have purposely designed 1031 to be different from traditional VC. In the spirit of Bitcoin, 1031 funds are called low time preference funds in which a portion of management fees are directed to fund open source Bitcoin development and grants to contributors in the space. 1031 is focused on building an active community of supporters who have seen the orange light of Bitcoin and want to contribute. The 1031 tribe, its limited partners, and the members of its team are a talented group of Bitcoin hodlers comprising a wealth of diverse expertise and relationships across the world. Members include Bitcoin legends such as the indelible Matt O'Dell, Parker Lewis, Michael Tanguma, and Marty Bimp. The mission of 1031 is best summarized thus, quote, In a sense, we are the anti-fiat VC with a singular focus, Bitcoin, end quote. All right. I've listened to most of the announcement on Marty Bent's uh, Tales from the Crypt about uh, 1031, which dropped, clearly dropped yesterday. Makes sense. Um, and read a couple of things about it. And I, I kind of still don't get it. I, I'm, 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 I'm missing something. Okay. And I think if, if I'm missing anything, it's probably my fault. And it's probably because I just... I mean, I kind of know what VCs do, but the definitions that I've gotten out of out of uh, 1031 is I, I I'm just I'm not seeing a clear path. I know what the mission statement is. Yes, to support Bitcoiners and Bitcoin companies on the mission of hyper Bitcoinization. I get it, and they're going to do that through grants and investment. I get that too. However, there's I, I, I want more. I want a, a, a more solid definition of exactly what's going on here. If you guys know exactly what's going on, feel free to DM my ass. Tell me that I just don't get it. And then please explain to me so that I do get it because I kind of don't get it. Uh, and nothing, I'm not throwing shade on Marty. I'm not throwing shade on Matt. I'm not throwing shade on Parker Lewis or Michael Tenguma or, or any of the other people at 1031. I am certain 
that their hearts, their minds, and their ethical positions are in the right place and they're all coming from the right place. It's just, I, I, give me a little bit more. What's, what's the pathway? What exactly are you investing in? What does it look like when you invest in something? What do you expect out of it? I mean, come on. I, I need more is I guess what I'm saying. I just, I just need more. <clears throat> so let's move on from there and into the MasterCard is preparing its infrastructure for the deployment of CBDCs. So we'll get into the bad news here. Zayun Shun is writing this for Cointelegraph. Can you hear my rooster going off in the background? Sorry, guys, I, I can't really do anything about that. I, it, I can't kill him. I just can't. He's just, he's a fun bird to watch. And I just don't want to just kill him because he's annoying. That just seems, that just seems like a bad reason, okay? Anyway, continuing. During an earnings call with investors and stakeholders, Michael Maybach, CEO of MasterCard, discussed his, discussed his positive outlook on the cryptocurrency industry. The company has not only seen sizable volume growth in consumers using their MasterCards to purchase crypto, but has also secured several partnerships with cryptocurrency firms. But his most ambitious viewpoint emerged during a discussion regarding central bank digital currencies, saying, quote, we are saying at this point in time, the most likely chance for this kind of technology to work for payments is if it's issued through a government in the form of a CBDC. We said that on a couple of calls before, and we said that we will make, it our, net we will make our network ready to do that as and when a government is ready to put out a CBDC that will exist alongside the dollar or the euro as a settlement currency in our network, end quote. Honestly, this is all you need to know. The, the article goes on, but we're not going to read it because it's just making me sick. MasterCard is cozying up with the enemy. They're cozying up with the government. They don't know how to function as a company and be able to service their shareholders who demand not only profitable quarter over quarter performance, but they also demand and are legally have the legal right to better performance quarter over quarter over quarter. Okay. We've made it in the United States at least, and this is probably true in most of the Western world. We've made it the fiduciary responsibility of CEOs, board of directors of all these companies that not only are they supposed to make a profit, they're legally required to make more profit the next year. And they will have problems if they don't, or if they continuously have slides where they're not profitable, there's going to be problems for, the, for, for these people. And it could be the fact, I mean, when I mean legally, it's not like they're going to go to jail. It's just that they can get sued, right? This is one of the reasons why things have just gotten so batshit, ape shit crazy in our world is that it's not just that you have a company. It's not just that you employ people. It's not just that you provide a good or service. You have a fiduciary commitment to make money, which is fine. That part's fine. It's the making money and making more money and then making more money and everything else be damned. As long as you're making more money in quarter two than you did in quarter one, well, then you're okay. And nobody gives a fuck that you, you know, chopped off the pensions or you shaved off you know, half of your legal staff to make, you know, make up for those so that you could actually show those gains on your books. Okay. Th these people have no choice but to go and suck on the government's dick. I'm sorry. That's, I hate to put it that way, but that's the, that's what's going on here. They are literally designing their system for CBDCs. He said it right here. They said it right here, man. <clears throat> Like when it says, the most likely chance for this kind of technology to work for payments is if it's issued through a government in the form of a CBDC. So those two things right there, or actually three things. If it's a payment system, it's got to be through the government and it has to be in the form of a CBDC. That's what they're saying. If I were you, and, and I have to do it too, I've got a MasterCard right now and I've got to figure out how to get out, how to, uh, uh, get get rid of that fucking thing. And any of the card companies that are giving like uh, Bitcoin back, like Fold and stuff like that, if you are anywhere close 
to the MasterCard network, you need to start getting away from that as soon as humanly possible, very much like uh, Michael Saylor did. MicroStrategy's Bitcoin coffers swell to $7 billion. That's billion with a B, says Andrew Azmakov from Decrypt.co. Business intelligence firm MicroStrategy added nearly 9,000 Bitcoin to its holding in the third quarter with the total amount on its balance sheet reaching 114,000 BTC as of September 30, uh, 2021. With Bitcoin currently trading at roughly 61K, MicroStrategy now holds a staggering $7 billion of the leading cryptocurrency. According to MicroStrategy's Q3 financial results published on Thursday, the firm spent a total of $3.16 billion to purchase the Bitcoin that it owns with an average cost of approximately, get this, $27,700 per coin. MicroStrategy first began exploring Bitcoin as an investment in 2020 when the firm made its first $425 million purchase. And by the end of last year, MicroStrategy's Bitcoin holdings exceeded $1.125 billion. In February this year, the firm made the headlines again when it purchased an additional 19,452 Bitcoin worth $1.02 billion, increasing its crypto holdings to approximately $4.5 billion. Since then, MicroStrategy has been repeatedly adding Bitcoin to its balance sheet with CEO Michael Saylor, one of Bitcoin's most outspoken advocates, making it clear that the firm doesn't plan to ever sell it. MicroStrategy Bitcoin investments also inspired institutional investors like Rao Paul and companies like Square and Tesla to follow in its footsteps. In December of last year, Saylor publicly advised Elon Musk to convert Tesla's balance sheet into Bitcoin, suggesting that the move would be a $100 billion favor. Just two months later, in February 2021, Tesla made its record-breaking $1.5 billion investment in Bitcoin. Commenting on the latest financial results, Saylor stressed that MicroStrategy is now the world's largest publicly traded corporate owner of Bitcoin and that it will continue to evaluate opportunities to raise additional capital to execute on our Bitcoin strategy, end quote. Saylor also revealed on Thursday that he personally holds 17,732 Bitcoin, around $1 billion in current prices, which he bought at $9,000 or $9,800 each on average. Saylor added that he informed MicroStrategy of these holdings before the company decided to buy Bitcoin for itself. Oh my God, let's run some numbers. Flammable liquids doing fairly well, except for nat gas, which is down 3% to $5.25 for 1,000 cubic feet. <clears throat> West Texas Intermediate is up 0.68% and is clocking in at $84.14 a barrel. Brent North Sea is up one full point, $84.56 a barrel. And gasoline is up 1%, but it is at $2.39 per gallon. So guys on the West and East Coast may be able to take a little bit of a breather, but you're still paying five over five fifty to five seventy-five a gallon. Oh, I just can't imagine. I feel really bad for you guys. Gold up half a point, but still under eighteen hundred bucks at seventeen hundred and ninety-two dollars. Silver is up a third, twenty-four dollars. Platinum is up four point two three percent. Holy crap. Copper is up almost a half point, and palladium, likewise, is up 3.82, following in platinum's footsteps, 3.82%. Holy smokes, man. The biggest winner on uh, uh, agricultural futures today is cotton at 4.17% to the upside. Clocking in at number two is wheat at 3% to the upside, and then in third place is coffee at 226 percent to the upside. Dow is up 0.15. S&P futures is up 0.09%. NASDAQ futures up 0.09%. And the S&P mini is up a whopping 1.73%. But real money is on the horizon and it is at $61,421 with 254,000 transactions made in the last 24 hours. That's 10,500 transactions on average every hour with a scant 300 and 91,000 BTC being sent in that 24 hours. That's a mere 16,312 BTC every hour on the hour. 
with an average transaction value of 1.5%, sorry, 1.5 BTC and a median transaction value of 0.012 BTC. Block times, oh, and by the way, we had a difficulty adjustment yesterday and block times are nailed at 10 minutes and zero seconds. So I guess the uh, difficulty adjustment worked again, like it has every single time. 0.08 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis and 12.5 BTC taken in fees overall in the last 24 hour period. With a 0.08% drop in hash rate, we are still at 151.63 exahashes per second. Dogcoin at 27 United States pennies. Make that 27.3 United States pennies for Dogecoin, which has now lost its seat to Shiba Inu. No, I'm not going to talk about it. It's not worth the time. 6,650 transactions are waiting on six blocks to clear. We have $1.15 trillion market cap, which is 9.82% of gold's market cap. And you can get 34.1 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which, of which there are 18,860,779.0 in circulation. 3,132 and a half of those are locked up in the Lightning Network at a capacity value of $191 million, being run over 17,328 nodes that we know of with 78,218 payment channels. And 74.8% of all of that is being run over the Tor side of the Lightning Network. So there's 2,344.39 of those Bitcoin in the Tor side of the Lightning Network being run over 10,774 nodes. That's going to do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of, by the time you get to it, the afternoon roundup. Hive blockchain orders another 6,500 Bitcoin mining machines from Canaan. Yikes. Coindesk's Tanzil Akhtar is writing this one. The order comes after the Canadian company bought 4,000 units in August and 6,400 in January. Holy shit. <laughs> The latest purchase will push Hive block or sorry, Hive's Bitcoin mining capacity to two exahashes per second by December and three exahashes per second by March of 2022. Executive Chairman Frank Holmes said in a statement, the company currently has about 1.2 exahashes per second. Canaan <clears throat> is a China based manufacturer best known for its ASIC mining machines that, during boom times, have seen demand skyrocket as more mining businesses attempt to capitalize on Bitcoin's rising price. Well, duh, but man, 6,500 Bitcoin mining machines on top, on top of the already purchased 6,404,000. So, to, what was that? 10,400 machines, and they just decided to say, screw it, we want 18,800 machines. So there you go, man. It's like there is just nothing, nothing is going to stop these people. And they're all probably going to end up in Texas. Martin Young has it for Cointelegraph. Industrial Bitcoin mining breathes new life into tiny Texas town. Two Bitcoin mining giants are duking it out for cheap electricity in a tiny town in Texas. Both BitDeer a mining firm that spun out from Chinese giant Bitmain and Riot Blockchain, one of the leading publicly traded Bitcoin mining firms in the United States, are operating data centers hosted at a former aluminum smelting facility in the Texan town of Rockdale. The town's aluminum smelting plant was previously the world's largest until the company that ran it, Alcoa, began winding up operations in 2008, according to Lee Bratcher, president of the Texas Blockchain Council. The facility's energy capacity was wasted from Alcoa's departure until the miners set up shop. Despite Rockdale being a tiny rural town of just 5,600 people, it exhibits all the benefits sought after by industrial-scale miners. Crypto-friendly politicians, large plots of land, hosting abandoned industrial infrastructure ripe for repurposing, and dirt-cheap electricity prices thanks to Texas's deregulated market. 
Rockdale Mayor John King describes the relationship between the local grid operator, the Electric Reliability Council of Texas, also known as ERCOT, and miners as mutually beneficial. He emphasized that miners regularly consume electrical power that would otherwise be wasted, and they can also shut down operations instantly should power be needed elsewhere. He added, quote, Miners are committed to buying a certain amount of power, and what they do is sell it back at market value and make a profit. They have a contract of two cents or three cents, and they can sell it for $9 a kilowatt hour. Oh, yay, yay. <clears throat> As reported by Cointelegraph on October the 7th, Riot Blockchain has more than tripled its Bitcoin production this year. The firm now estimates that the facility is producing more than 500 BTC per month from its facility in Rockdale. At current prices, the mine coins equate to $30 million per month. Riot said the site hosts 100,000 mining rigs. Texan lawmakers are pushing for a further expansion in the state's Bitcoin mining embrace, with Senator Ted Cruz describing mining as a means to capture natural gas that the state currently flares. Speaking during the August, August October 10th Texas Blockchain Summit, Cruz argued that natural gas is currently being flared in West Texas because there is no transmission equipment to get that natural gas where it could be used in a way that natural gas would ordinarily be used, end quote. Quote, use that power to mine Bitcoin. Part of the beauty of that is the instant you're doing it, you're helping the environment enormously because rather than flaring the natural gas, you're putting it to productive use, he added. <laughs> okay, so back to the Alcoa plant. In case you're wondering why, <clears throat> and I wish they had said something about it, but in case you're wondering about Alcoa and the aluminum smelting that happened in Texas and why these people give a shit about it, well, the reason is, is because aluminum smelting is, is an intensively electric, it's, a, it's an electrically intensive industry. You don't fire. It's not like steel, okay? You don't have like this giant coal bin and you're, you've got your, your bauxite ore, which you get aluminum from, in some kind of crucible, you know, that, that's, you know, hanging above this huge coal fire. That's not the way this shit works, okay? This shit is done with electricity. They have huge electrical furnaces that melt all this stuff. And that's why it's so important to understand that if you hear the name Alcoa and a repurposing of a closed down aluminum smelter, it's got all the electricity that the miners will ever need. And they could soak all of it up immediately if we had enough ASICs. Okay, so there's that the whole, you know, one of the bigger issues in the Bitcoin mining world is the lack of ASICs because of, well, guess what? Supply chain issues. Okay, <clears throat> well, either way, if it, if, if we didn't decide to fully buy into clown world and, and we didn't have any of the shit going on from 2020 onwards and ASICs were still being uh, pumped out, then every single kilowatt that is flowing to an aluminum smelter could be used almost immediately because you just, you just rack up as many uh, Bitcoin miners as it takes to soak all that energy up and you are and and at one point or another you go nope that's enough we've we're soaking up all the energy and that's why the aluminum smelting plants are are really kind of like a prized possession when it comes to Bitcoin mining if you can find an aluminum smelter that's gone offline and they've packed up and they are not coming back guess what they didn't take with them all the high voltage transmission lines that are flowing into the building and all of the electrical infrastructure that's in that building that was purpose built to take large amounts of electricity and put it into their furnaces. Well, you just detach it from the furnaces that are no longer being used and you just kind of do some more electrical manipulation and you run it into your Bitcoin miners instead. But you've got more power than you can possibly imagine coming into an aluminum smelting plant. You don't have to really build anything. It's, it's, it's a great marriage, except unless we lose all of our aluminum smelting capacity, which, you know, is going to cause another problem, but we won't even get into that. Let's move on. Bitcoin Magazine's Dominique Frisbee has this one. If you want Bitcoin exposure, don't use an ETF. Just buy Bitcoin. Quote, <clears throat> what happens if the government makes Bitcoin illegal? 
is a question you will frequently hear. The underlying assumption, the same one that prohibitionists made in the early part of the last century, is that usage will decrease or even stop altogether if you make something illegal. <laughs> no, <laughs> this is not necessarily so. On September the 24th, Chinese regulators issued two documents. One outlawed cryptocurrency mining and the other reiterated a ban on all cryptocurrency transactions and noted that all companies providing cryptocurrency trading services to Chinese citizens are engaged in illicit financial activity. <clears throat> and here we are just over a month later and the price of Bitcoin is up over 50%. Good job, China. Excellent work. Bitcoin has broken out to new highs against Almost every currency that there is, even the United States dollar, Bitcoin's market cap has never been bigger. The network is stronger than ever. Mining simply relocated following China's regulatory notice. This is now the 18th, something like that anyway. Time China, time China has attempted to ban Bitcoin. It bans, or rather its bans, don't seem to have the desired effect that they are looking for. The reason for Bitcoin's recent rally, certainly the latter part of it anyway, was the announcement last week that there will finally be listed uh, <clears throat> a listed Bitcoin exchange traded fund. Uh, said ETF, the ProShares Bitcoin Strategy ETF, uh, uh, ticker symbol is BITO, began trading on October the 19th. It turned over almost $1 billion. We don't know the precise number as of this writing, but <clears throat> it has with more than 24 million shares changing hands. This makes it the second most heavily traded fund on record, beaten only by BlackRock Carbon Fund, which ranked higher due to pre-seed investments. We've been waiting a long time. The Winklevi tried to get a Binkle, uh, a Binkle coin, a Bitcoin ETF off the ground in 2013 when Bitcoin was 65 bucks. Many others have tried, and here we are finally, eight years on, with the price a thousand times higher. I guess Bitcoin ETFs are like buses. You wait all that time and then two come along at once. Valkyrie's Bitcoin Futures ETF launched very soon after. I used to be CEO of Canadian listed privacy tech company Cypherpunk Holdings, and I was extremely proud of myself and the team for securing what I thought was the best ticker in the world in HODL, H-O-D-L. <clears throat> but credit where credit is due, Valkyrie have got one better. They secured the ticker BTFD, <laughs> lol, as they say. It's being hailed as a watershed moment for the crypto industry, enabling it to enter the financial mainstream, easily accessible to investors of all shapes and sizes through traditional brokers. I'm less convinced myself, call me a grouch. The publicity is good, sure, but Bitcoin has done perfectly well without an ETF. Does it even need one? Crypto is supposed to be an entirely new financial system where individuals take control of their own keys, their own custody, their own money, freeing themselves of the need for intermediaries and trusted third parties. In that sense, an ETF is like taking a step back. It feels a bit like French revolutionaries celebrating that Marie Antoinette and the aristocracy have joined them in, in overthrowing the regime. <clears throat> What's more, these futures ETFs are based on futures contracts not the spot price of Bitcoin. I confess I'm out of my depth discussing the in intricacies of short and long dated futures contracts, but if my understanding is correct, the fund, which charges a 1% fee, will have to constantly sell expiring contracts and buy longer dated ones, which tend to be more expensive. This constant rolling of contracts is going to cost money in the 5 to 10% range, and that means the ETF might not end up accurately replicating the price of Bitcoin itself, which is the very purpose of the thing. United States Oil Fund used to be a popular ETF for investors hoping to track the price of oil, but with all the complications of rolling futures contracts, contango, and backward ideation, it always seemed to underperform the price. It might reflect short-term swings, but in the longer term, it was useless, even more so than Shell or BP as oil price trackers. <clears throat> it is immensely frustrating for an investor to correctly call a market only for the chosen vehicle not to deliver. USO is by no means alone in its failure as an ETF to actually track the underlying asset. One hopes that BITO and BTFD and their investors will not fall into the same damn trap, I am sure. This is something that they have prepared for, but it is a concern. 
The Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, with a market cap of $32 billion, had been the previous way by which traditional investors could buy exposure to Bitcoin through their brokers. It is a closed-in fund that owns Bitcoin directly, not futures, charging 2%. As a closed-in fund, new shares are not created as new money buys in. The trust price is therefore determined by supply and demand for the trust, rather than the price of the asset it is designed to replicate. It is traded at a consistent 20% discount to the price of its Bitcoin. Trusts often trade at a discount to their net <clears throat> native, or rather their net asset value or NAVs, many perpetually so, which means there is a value proposition here, but that is not why people buy GBTC. They buy it to replicate Bitcoin's price, and it hasn't. What I'm saying is this, if you want to get exposure to Bitcoin's price, then buy Bitcoin. It involves some self-education that many can't or are not prepared to take on, but that is the sacrifice to be made. I can't see how synthetic vehicles for mainstream investors will ever be anything but second best. Grayscale is now applying for an ETF status. The danger here is that if it achieves it, it will then sell the Bitcoin it currently holds, which could actually mean greater selling than would otherwise have happened. We are now at new highs. New highs, way more often than not, lead to more new highs. This ETF should mean a lot more money flowing into Bitcoin, and that has to be bullish. And one final word of warning. I remember the launch of the gold and silver ETFs back in the noughties. Until then, it was difficult for mainstream investors to get easy exposure to the gold and silver prices. Buying physical metal was cumbersome. It was hard to make quick entries and exits with all the delivery and quality complications. Futures contracts presented their own problems. The gold and silver ETFs were brilliant innovations to make gold and silver quickly and easily tradable. There was a lot of hype about both in the lead up to their launch. The Spider Gold Shares ETF launched in late November of 2004 and the iShares Silver Trust did so in April 2006. We take them for granted now, but they were considerable breakthroughs at the time, and there was a lot of excitement. Gold was trading around 440 bucks an ounce at the time of the launch of GLD. It rallied over the next 10 days to 450, and then went into two and a half month bear market that saw it go below 415. When SLV was launched in April 2006, it rallied for a fortnight to 15 bucks an ounce, and then crashed 40% to nine. Bitcoin is a different beast, of course, and the mistake with Bitcoin has always been to underestimate it. I'm a Bitcoin bull. Don't get me wrong on that, but let's just say it wouldn't surprise me to see this market rally for a fortnight on all the excitement, then turn around and sell off just as the gold and silver ETFs did. So, yeah, uh, not, I'm not a fan of, of the futures-based Bitcoin ETFs either. It doesn't make sense to me when you can just buy the underlying asset. That's what I do. I'm not buying futures. Now, I will say this, for a lot, for a lot of institutional grade investments, in investments, an ETF is the only way that they're ever going to get exposure to Bitcoin right now under the regulatory auspices that we have to operate on. I'm talking about pension funds, you know, that kind of thing where, you know, you've got like all these different pension funds and the only way they can't really hold the BTC themselves because the regulators and all that kind of shit for whatever reason. And until that shit changes, the only way that they can get exposure to the Bitcoin price is through an ETF. Now, if a spot ETF comes online, well, then we got something because the, the, at that point, you're going to actually, the, the, the fund is actually going to have to buy the BTC. And the closest thing we got to that right now is GBTC. These other funds that have come online, <clears throat> they're not touching the, the underlying asset. They're just gambling. It's a derivative product. A futures contract is a derivative of the actual underlying asset. And it honestly has nothing to do with the asset itself, except that it makes a bet on its price. So what did I just say? You're gambling. If you want to go gamble, go to Vegas. If you want to own an actual asset that's going to appreciate over time and give you freedom, buy Bitcoin. Now, that said, <laughs> investors are rug pulled after pouring $57 million into dog-themed Olympus Dow Fork. <laughs> Samuel Haig, Cointelegraph. After launching via a Discord channel on October the 28th, what was that, three days ago? Anubis Dow went on to rise roughly 
or raise roughly 13,256 Ether using Alchemist Coin's liquidity bootstrapping protocol, LBP. <clears throat> However, the funds were unexpectedly, unexpectedly sent to a different address roughly 20 hours into the LBP. CNBC spoke to one investor who claims to have lost almost $470,000 to Anubis Dow. The investor, Brian Wynn, conceded to subscribing to a buy first, do research later mentality, describing the loss as pretty painful. Wynn noted that he was attracted to Anubis B or the Anubis Dow because of its canine themed branding amid the meteoric rise or gains recently reaped by some dog token investors after seeing Anubis promoted on Twitter by prime, uh, prominent pseudonymous decentralized finance advocate Sisyphus. Anubis is the Greek god named for the Egyptian god of death of the underworld with Egyptian imagery depicting the god as donning the body of a human and the head of a dog. Investors appear to have lost roughly $57 million worth of ether in what many are describing as a rug pull executed by the upstart canine-themed Olympus Dow fork Anubis Dow. Sisyphus has published a detailed timeline outlining Anubis, Anubis Dow's formation and launch and claims to have engaged law enforcement in both the United States and Hong Kong. Sisyphus has also offered to cease the civil proceedings should the perpetrator return the stolen funds minus a 1,000 ETH bounty. According to Sisyphus, the idea for an Olympus Dow fork inspired by Shiba Inu's branding arose from discussions among members of the Pebble Dow project during Tuesday and Wednesday. A telegram channel for the project was created on the same Wednesday and its six original members all hailing from Pebble Dow. <clears throat> the following day, it is decided that the pseudonymous founding member Beerus, Beerus, B-E-E-R-U-S, Beerus, as in beer me, for God's sakes, these people. Anyway, Beerus would be tasked with deploying the LBP, a decision that Sisyphus now describes as a, quote, critical mistake. Quote, this was a critical mistake. This should have been done from the original multisig wallet, end quote. With just hours left until the LBP was scheduled to close on Friday, Beerus claimed to have opened a malicious link from a PDF and exposed the private keys used for the LBP launch. <clears throat> 13,500 Ethereum were then pulled from the LBP uh, shortly after. However, Beerus's personal wallet funds appear to remain intact and under his own control. <clears throat> Sisyphus also notes that security researchers provided the PDF from phishing emails distributed during the day Beerus claimed to have clicked the malicious link, noting that at this point, none have found any malicious content contained in the PDFs. Beerus's real-world information is also collated and partially published on Twitter, and Hong Kong authorities were contacted on Friday. Beerus filed a report and turned one computer over to Hong Kong police the following day. Sisyphus also notes that wallets associated with the incident have since sent Ethereum to Coinbase, adding that the exchange has been notified of the transactions. Jesus Christ, people. <clears throat> All of the... the the ins and outs and the technicalities of how this occurred actually doesn't matter. What here, here's what does matter. I'm, I'm going to, I'm, I'm, I'm going to repeat this, these two paragraphs again, the investor, Brian Wynn conceded to subscribing to a buy first, do research later mentality, describing the loss as painful. Wynn noted that he was get this, this is the important part. He was attracted to Anubis Dow because of its canine-themed branding amid the meteoric gains recently reaped by some dog token investors after seeing Anubis promoted on Twitter. Okay, people, you're buying a dog coin because some asshole named Sisyphus said it was good and you were thinking that just because it has a dog theme that it's going to do well. Okay, at that point, you're not betting on anything but the stupidity of man. And you reap what you sow. If you are betting on the stupidity of mankind, you yourself are in fact stupid. Not to say that it's not the way to go. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not saying that, you know, mankind is smart. Clearly not. We just sent our clown world president all the way over across the pond 
flying two C-130s to carry all these goddamn vehicles. And there's a 16-vehicle motorcade that took him from the Ireland airport to wherever the hell this COP26 thing is. And I'm not saying the human, that the human species is not stupid. What I am saying is that if you're thinking that you're going to make money by betting on that stupidity, then you yourself are fucking stupid. You should be trying to better humanity not trying to pull whatever last vestige of wealth you can from it. And you get what you, you reap what you sow, man. You reap what you sow. And I hope it hurts. And I hope old Brian Wynn has a really bad taste in his mouth forever and ever and ever and ever. Just like we're about to hear about from Jonathan Ponciano from Forbes.com. Viral Squid Game cryptocurrency crashes 100% in minutes after founders reportedly run away with $2.5 million. Yay! The price of a viral cryptocurrency inspired by the hit Netflix show Squid Game crashed Monday morning after reports detailing the project's anonymous founders had pulled the plug on the token and run away with investor proceeds. The latest cautionary tale for traders trying to chase the nascent crypto market's meteoric gains... The price of the so-called Squid Game token lost virtually all value at about 6 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time, plummeting from a price of, get this, $2,861 to less than half a penny and wiping out $2 billion in market value within 15 minutes, according to cryptocurrency data website CoinMarketCap. The crash started after users noticed wallet activity suggesting the token's alleged developers had terminated the project before its heavily publicized online game had even launched and cashed out of approximately $2.5 million worth of Binance coin tokens, hiding transaction details using a a protocol called Tornado Cash. Squid Token's website and social media accounts appeared offline after the Monday crash uh, in the morning. Twitter had already restricted its account due to some unusual activity. Cautionary signs quickly grew after the token's meteoric rise last week, with CoinMarketCap warning on Friday that multiple users were reporting that they could not sell their tokens on decentralized exchange PancakeSwap. The website went on to warn the project, though clearly inspired by the eponymous Netflix show, was unlikely to be affiliated with the official intellectual property, adding, please do your own due diligence and exercise caution while trading. Fueled by massive fervor among retail crypto investors, the squid token skyrocketed to as much as 310,000%. I'm going to say it again, 310,000% since its launch last week. Even though little was known about the project or its founders, there's no reason to go on any further than this. There's just no reason. We just got finished talking about Anubis DAO. And all and here we are with a squid coin. And we all we were I mean we didn't even have a we didn't even have enough time to properly you know, drag the people that were getting into in, into squid coin over the, over the coals. We didn't have, we did not have the proper amount of time to be able to have fun telling people to have fun staying poor before they got poor. Right? This is like, it's, it's becoming, it's becoming untenable. I need to have at least a couple of weeks to be able to properly format a have fun staying poor tweet. I mean, come on guys, you got to give us a chance here. And they're not even doing that. <clears throat> Anubis DAO, a DAO was formed within three days or four days and it's gone. This shit was formed like over the course of half a week, maybe a whole week, I don't know, and it's gone. And yet it's going to happen again. It, it, I, I don't know how, but if you're out there and you're thinking seriously about trying to get into some of this, don't. Buy Bitcoin. Hold Bitcoin and find something else to do with your life. Please, for the love of God, don't get into any of these things. Yes, if you time it correctly, you can punch out with a billion dollars. I get that. I get, I mean, Shiba Inu, there's a guy that like, I don't know, he's like said he bought like 2,000 Shiba Inu or something like that. And they're worth like $3.2 billion. Yeah, try to sell it. Try to sell it. See what happens. You're going to find out that you're not going to be able to get 
anywhere close to $3.2 billion for this fucking shit token. Why? Because it's completely illiquid. All you're going to do is signal to the market that you're, cr you're crashing the price and the price will crash and you'll be lucky. You'll be lucky to get out with, I don't know, maybe a few house payments and, and you know, good on you. But if you're actually sitting there and you bought Shiba Inu and you're like, man, I'm richer than you'll ever be, Dave. I'm like, I, I don't think so. Try to sell it. And, and again, see what happens. Just buy Bitcoin, hold Bitcoin, and find something else to do with your life. I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. 